0: Open to Hebrews chapter two. We are going to continue in the book of Hebrews. Peter Stonecipher, our pastoral intern here, uh, started with Hebrews chapter one a few weeks ago. Whenever I have the privilege of preaching, we'll dip back into Hebrews and continue in this series. So today we'll be in Hebrews chapter two. The series is titled "In Every Way Jesus Is Superior," and the title for today's message is "Pay Careful Attention." Pay careful attention. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to gather today. Lord, my prayer has been this week that you would open our eyes. That we'd see awesome things in your word today. That we'd be humbled. That we'd be amazed. That we'd be moved to action. That we'd be greatly inspired by your word that it would transform us, that it would, Lord, in your kindness and grace and mercy, correct us where we need correction, instruct us where we need instruction, remind us where we need reminding, that, Lord, you would do these things and more by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I live in a world of what would you do if scenarios. I usually hear these scenarios coming from the back seat of the car while we're driving somewhere. Recently, I heard a few scenarios while here at the church office with my kids. They went like this. What would you do if I use my telekinesis power to lift you up and throw you against the bookshelf? This This is not a conversation with me. This is a conversation being had between my sons. Across the office? Yeah, across the office. Well, one, I would touch the ceiling with my hands so that fingerprints would get on the ceiling so that when we called the cops, they would know what happened. Why would you call the cops? They don't need to be involved. Yes, they do. If you have telekinesis power, they would need to be involved. They moved on quickly to the next, what would you do if? What would you do if I ripped up that tree over there and whacked you with it? Well, first, I would cry. That's the world I live in. I have one for us today. What would you do if you found yourself not paying attention to what was most important in your life? What would you do if you found yourself not paying attention to what was most important to your life, to your well-being, and to your future? If you found out you were drifting away from what you've heard, that great salvation, that message that came from Jesus, our King, what would you do? Hebrews chapter 2 is the practical response to Hebrews chapter 1, naturally. It's a call to hold fast, to hold on to Jesus and his message. It goes like this. Here's the logic behind it. Since Jesus is superior in every way, angels included. We heard a lot about angels in chapter 1 and how Jesus is superior to them. Since Jesus is superior in every way, then, then what? Then Hebrews 2. That's what? Let's read it. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. There's a lot there. First, it's important for us to see the warning Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to what? To this great salvation, to what you've heard. Why? So that you don't drift away from it. Because drifting has disastrous consequences. Now here, the author of Hebrews, really, we could call him a pastor. Many think this was a sermon. Imagine that one long sermon. Well, it's a letter. It's a letter to a people that he's caring for and he's preaching. He's coming alongside them. He's proclaiming truth to them, and he's concerned about them. He argues from lesser to greater here in the beginning of chapter two, and begins with the giving of the Old Testament law. He mentions how the Old Testament law was delivered or mediated to Moses by angels. you could read more about this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, or Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Those uh, passages there are in your handout. But his point being, if this covenant established by God through angels at Mount Sinai, if this was binding and if every violation and disobedience of that covenant received its just punishment, then how will we escape if we ignore or if we neglect or disregard or pay little attention or if we don't care about this great salvation, this new covenant If Israel was called to pay attention to the law, to Torah, delivered by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the message delivered by the Son of God? This message, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, was announced by Jesus, announced by the Lord. This message of salvation was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The author is saying, uh, this message was confirmed by eyewitnesses to us, eyewitnesses. Uh, to Jesus and his work. It was also testified by God himself, by signs and wonders and various miracles. Consider what God did, especially through his church in the book of Acts, uh, through signs and miracles and wonders after the preaching of the word. Consider this a stamp of validation on the message they're proclaiming. So here we have a message, not delivered by angels, but delivered by the Son of God. Here we have a message that is confirmed by those who heard and saw this Jesus, the Christ. And here we have a message that is absolutely testified to by God through signs and wonders, a stamp of validation. You can absolutely 100% count on this message as true, as trustworthy. That's what the author is saying. Now, drifting provides a powerful image for the spiritual state that the author is warning about. Well, we get it. He's saying, pay careful attention, though, that you don't drift. Pay careful attention. In other words, it's more and more attention, earnest attention. It's exceedingly and abundantly attention. This is careful attention. Don't just pay attention, but pay, pay, pay attention. Pay attention was used as a technical term for bringing a ship into port. The wind and oars powered ancient ships, so a real test of the captain's skill was entering a harbor and approaching a dock. There was no reverse engine to slow the ship down. I remember just this past summer, uh, just a few months ago, renting a pontoon boat for a couple days on the lake, and I was coming in hard (laughs) to a dock, and it was storming out. Just imagine, all right? I got five kids. They're freaking out. They're crying. There's lightning. There's wind. There's waves. Just I've been pelted by what I thought was ice, but it was really just rain. I, I wanted to cry. I wasn't crying. I was coming, coming to the dock, and I'm thinking, okay, is this our dock? Yes, it is. Thank you, Lord. Coming in strong. Had to hit that reverse. These sailors back in the day, they had no reverse. For these ancient ships, too much speed meant you'd crash. Too little You'd fall short and drift on by. What would influence the drift? Strong currents, winds. They would undoubtedly play their part. So the author of Hebrews is concerned that his readers are tempted to drift, or they have begun to drift off course. Or so they would drift if they don't give attention to the message they've heard. Now, what would they drift for? Well, not paying attention, being distracted. Could it be due to persecution? Absolutely. Later on in the letter, that, that idea is, is formed even more. That these who he's writing to are struggling due to persecution that they're under. And they're tempted to pull away from Jesus as Messiah. And turn back to the, the Jewish system of worship. Since Jesus is superior in every way, then his message is superior. And he's saying, pay attention to it. Pay attention to what you've heard. Pay attention to this great salvation. Now, this word salvation, the word could generally be used in regards to deliverance from especially perilous situations such as war or shipwreck or famine. Saved could mean as in save from death or illness or near-death experience. But biblically speaking, salvation is all of that and more. It's all of that and more. This is about what God has done and what he is doing and will do on behalf of his people. Salvation from oppression. Salvation from sure disaster. Salvation from enslavement to sin. Salvation from the just, the deserved wrath of God. Salvation from coming judgment. It's a great salvation. Now, where did this deliverance come from, this salvation come from? How was this salvation accomplished? So the author of Hebrews goes on to explain. He says, pay attention to this great salvation, and we should do the same. But second, he says, Jesus was made lower. He was made a little lower than angels, and we see this in verses 5 through 9. Verse 5 it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was more superior than angels. What's going on here? He's now made a little lower than angels. This speaks of his humanity. This speaks of him taking on the stuff we're made of entering our broken world, entering our sin-sick world in human form, being born. Just, it's, it's, it's crazy, really, to think about. It's breathtaking. Jesus became what we are. He became human to do what we could not do, and that is restore humanity's broken relationship with God. That required Jesus humbling himself and taking on human flesh, becoming a little lower than the angels. Now, verses 5 through 18 of chapter 2, they're explaining how this great salvation was accomplished and what it means for us. The son had to become, for a little while, a little lower than the angels, before being crowned with glory and honor. So he had to become a little lower Than the angels before being crowned with glory and honor. And the author's key text in explaining this to um, the church that he's writing to is found in Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. Now, the author says, There's a place where someone once testified. Wouldn't wouldn't that be great if we were doing our memory verse? Well, there's a place somewhere where someone once testified. It's actually in Psalm 8. So let's read where someone once testified. Psalm 8, verse 1. "O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordered praise. Because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The author of Hebrews is pulling from Psalm 8. He later uses three wonderful texts in a supportive way as well, which we'll get to momentarily. In Psalm 8, we see the original context is speaking of man, not in his broken state, but in his ideal state of being, whole. At creation, mankind was given dominion over the earth, but ever since mankind's rebellion against their creator, that authority over creation was broken and has been lacking, to say the least. But here the author of Hebrews is helping the reader see the place man is called to have and hold but doesn't. And where Jesus, he was made lower than the angels to take on and fulfill the role of the ideal man. The perfect man, the whole man. He is Adam again. And Jesus did it. He did it in every way. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 8. Now, even so, we might sit back and say, okay, but I don't see it. I don't see Jesus' authority in the here and now over all creation. I just don't see it. You know what I do see? I see death. I see sickness, I see addiction and pain, I see suffering and brokenness, and I'm sure you can relate to this because you live in the same world I live in. If Jesus fulfilled Psalm 8 as the perfect man, if Jesus has all authority over all creation and he rules in glory and honor, why don't I see it in all of its fullness and beauty? Or why don't I experience it in the day-to-day brokenness of life. What's with this persecution? Maybe those he's writing to might ask, what's with the persecution? If Jesus is reigning in all authority, but what else? What else do we see? What else do we see? Verse nine, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death For everyone. We see Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is trying to help those that he's writing to see Jesus again. We gather Sunday after Sunday to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus again. Jesus is not a band-aid. He's the cure. He's not part of the question. He's the answer. He is faithful. And so his people are called to remain faithful. You see, Jesus was made lower And that speaks to his humiliation. But only for a time and with a clear purpose. Now, the author is saying, Jesus is exalted over us, over all creation. And his exaltation is experienced in part by us. We are, what? New creations in Christ Jesus. He's made us new. We bow to him as king. We recognize his authority. But one day... It will be experienced in its entirety. One day, his rule and reign will be known when all of heaven and earth is restored unto him and sin is completely eradicated and every tear is wiped from our eye. But not yet. But in the not yet, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. And in Jesus, we see God's humility and we see God's glory. Now, just when you thought this was getting overly complicated, just when you thought this had not much to do with you and more to do with who the author is writing to specifically, you find out that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor for a specific reason and that because he suffered death. And why did he suffer death? In order to taste. And I love this. Taste. When you taste something, you experience the fullness of it. Jesus tasted death for everyone. And in that, we find our inclusion. If you hadn't found it by at this point, you find it there. He tasted death for everyone, for you, for me. He was made a little lower than the angels. Number three, Jesus was made perfect. We're talking about this great salvation. Made a little lower than the angels, made perfect. Made perfect how? Through suffering. Through suffering. This is how God accomplished what you and I couldn't. God made the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. Let's read about it again in verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory or to honor or wholeness, to glorification, it was fitting that God For whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. In verse 10, we see um, Jesus referred to as the author of our salvation. Now, author has had a range of meanings uh, when used by ancient authors. They could use this word to mean founder, hero, captain, leader, pioneer, Champion, and I like all those words when it comes to Jesus. It's important though to pause and remember who the author and originator of this great salvation is it's Jesus. Jesus is the author of our salvation. He is a pioneer who will go where no one else dares to go and face what no one else dares to face in order to make a clear path for others. That's what a pioneer does. Go where no one else dares to go to make a path for others. And Jesus has done that for us. For Jesus is the pioneer. He's the pioneer of our faith. He is a founder. A founder is the one who started something, who came up with the idea, who had that aha moment. Jesus is the founder of our faith, He is a hero. A hero is someone who's willing to give up his or her life in order to rescue someone else. Jesus is the hero of our very lives. An author. An author comes up with the plot line and the characters. Jesus is the author of our salvation. It goes on to say that he was made perfect through suffering. Now, you might wonder, what's the deal with that? I thought Jesus was perfect in every way without sin. Perfect here does not mean without flaw or sin, even though that is true about Jesus. It means to bring to completion, to be fully prepared, or to reach the goal or the end. We're talking fulfillment here. So in what way was the author or the founder of our salvation, in what way has he been brought to completion or fully prepared? That's a good question to ask when approaching this passage. Through suffering on a cross. That's how he reached the end. He accomplished what he set out to accomplish by dying on a cross for you and me through suffering. The giving up of his life as a sacrifice in order to become for us what we desperately needed and what the Old Testament shouted for centuries upon centuries. Jesus became the perfect pioneer. He became the author of our salvation. How? Through suffering. Not for his own sake. He he didn't need this. But for ours. Jesus was made perfect, or he was brought to completion to his goal and fulfillment through suffering on the cross. That he might be the perfect sacrifice for our sins and the perfect high priest, mediator, that go-between. Well, let's keep going. In verses 10 and 11, we see that Jesus had to share in our humanity. He had to. He had to suffer and die so that we might share in his glory or be made holy and set apart and enter his family, become his brothers. There's a lot of talk about being a brother And then in verses 12 through 13, it's all backed up. uh, He's backing up what he says with three really cool Old Testament texts that we don't have time to get into, but I've given them to you in your handout. There's Psalm 22, there's a couple passages in Isaiah 8 that have everything to do with trust and with the family of God expressing trust and reliance on God. We've been welcomed into a new family. It goes on to say in verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We don't often think about that, that Jesus is our brother. We're part of his family. We're co-heirs with Christ. It goes on to say, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. or I live by placing my trust in God is essentially what he's saying. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. This is family language. It's trust language. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. And finally, Jesus was made like his brothers. We're talking about this great salvation. goes on in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels. He helps. There's angels again, bringing up angels again. It's not angels. He helps. No. Well, who does he help? It's not, it's not angels. But it's Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be like, made like his brothers in every way. And it goes on to say why. Jesus was made like us in every way. It wasn't for angels. It was for Abraham's descendants. He's still answering, the author is still answering the why and the how of this great salvation. And listen, church, there will be no wow factor if we can't first answer the why and how, this great salvation. We will have no wow response. We will not want to lift our hands high or sing or declare praises or live a life set apart for him if we don't know the why and the how. And so it's important for us not to drift from what we've heard and from what we're hearing. Hebrews, if we let it, Hebrews 2 has a way it will, will have a way of anchoring us to what's most important. In verses 14 through 16, Jesus shared in our humanity, we find so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Isn't that good news? Like, could I tell you any better news than that? And, I mean, it gets better. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery. Oh, well, this sure sounds like salvation. They were held in slavery by their fear of death. He has come to free us from the fear of death, to free us from the power of death, to free us from the bonds and chains of the devil himself. And this isn't just for angels, this isn't for angels actually at all. It's for Abraham's descendants. Now, You remember the promise given to Abraham. I'd encourage you to read it. Genesis chapter 12 and on through 15. What did God promise to Abraham? A worldwide family. That he would bless the nations through Abraham. It's this family that Jesus is concerned with. And how do you become a part of Abraham's family? It's by faith. It's always been by faith. Entrance into the family of God has always been by faith. Abraham trusted in the promises of God and was made righteous by faith. We are trusting in the promises of God and are made righteous by faith. We cling to Jesus. Now Jesus is concerned with this family, which means he's concerned with you, who by faith look to him. That's good news. He's concerned with your rescue. Verse 17, he had to. I like this. He had to. It wasn't, okay, yeah, maybe, Jesus. No, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Why? It goes on to answer the why. In order to become a merciful and faithful high priest. You may say, what's the deal with high priestly ministry here? Again, if you read the story of old, the story that this story is rooted in, the story, the gospel story, and the good news of Jesus is rooted in is the Old Testament story. Of redemption and rescue. And that story was told for thousands of years and there was a certain sacrificial system set up for thousands of years with priests set up to represent and help mediate between the people and God. Jesus fulfills that role as high priest. We don't need another mediator. Jesus is the mediator, the perfect high priest. So he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order to become this but it's happened. And in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. So Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order to become a faithful and merciful high priest and in order to become that perfect sacrifice to make atonement. That word in, uh, in, in some of your Bibles might say propitiation. The, the word is a good word to study. It, it means to appease, to make amends or repair a broken relationship. It means to absorb or to completely cover or wipe out anything that causes division or gets in the way of our relationship with God. And that's exactly what Jesus' sacrifice accomplished for us. Finally, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order to fully identify with us. It goes on to say that he suffered, was tempted, and he's able to help those who are being tempted. That's that's you and me, by the way. We're tempted every day. But he's able to help you and me because he fully identifies with us. He suffered and was tempted in every way. We're talking full-on identification. This is a great salvation. I mean, we've just been, been diving deep here. The author of Hebrews has pushed us to look a little bit outside of maybe the boundaries we've drawn and to see that, okay, Jesus, and speak in a different language a little bit. Jesus was made lower than angels. He was made perfect through suffering. Okay, maybe I wouldn't have said it that way. Um, and then he, he had to be, be made like his brothers in every way. Didn't even think about him being my brother before this. You see the language and how it helps us speak of this great salvation in a little different way, but it, it helps it become bigger and greater and i think that's the point so that we would pay attention pay careful attention to what we're hearing and not neglect it not move away so what happens when we neglect something what happens when you neglect something i mean think about the lawn if you neglect the lawn what happens you get weeds you get really tall grass you don't want to be that guy in the neighborhood with the really tall grass my jude he's starting to mow our lawn he he, he does a great job uh, but we have a, a guy across the street who doesn't live there. He kind of He's working on his house, and Jude's like, I just want to mow that grass just for the satisfaction of mowing that tall grass. I'm like, do it. Go over there. Mow it. What if you neglect your relationship with your spouse? There's a breakdown that happens. What if you neglect your health? Well, consequences eventually catch up with us. Even when we truly value something, we can find ourselves neglecting it. Right, we say, we say "Oh, I, I truly value my children." But if we're going through a period where we're working a lot and we're, we're just we're distracted, we're like, "Wait a minute, I, I've been neglecting time with my kids." It do, doesn't mean you don't value them, but what needs to happen? A reevaluation of your priorities, and I think it's important that we do a little reevaluating here today. Make sure that our priorities match what we actually value, what we say we value. Maybe you need to see the salvation message in Jesus as valuable for the first time, as the most valuable thing in your life. And that's okay. It's a good time to see it as that. But maybe you have begun to drift away. And even in this time, you've realized you have drifted away, and you're freaking out a little bit on the inside, saying, how do I get back? You get back by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter, of your faith, and ask him to help you reevaluate. Ask him to draw you near again. Ask him to help you stand in awe. Ask him these things. He'll do it. He began a good work. He'll finish it. And he's faithful to get your attention today. Either way, for all of us, a decision has to be made when we read Hebrews 2. A decision has to be made to care or not care about this message we've heard. To look into it more or not look into it. To stop assuming we know what it's all about and start digging deeper. And to begin celebrating like never before. You know, no one likes to be told to pay attention unless, of course, it's a matter of life and death. Unless it has something to do with our well-being. The author of Hebrews has told us to pay careful attention. So church, Gulf Coast Community Church, pay careful attention. I wouldn't tell you this unless it was a matter of life and death. I wouldn't tell you this unless it actually had to do with your well-being, your life now and your life to come. Pay careful attention to what you have heard. I don't want you to drift away Pay careful attention to this great salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Hebrews chapter 2. Thank you for the gift of warning. Thank you for the gift of this great salvation just being laid out for us so we could just see it again with new eyes. Move us to a place of great appreciation. And may all of us reevaluate what's most important in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.